Hi, I'm Imora Freeman, DBH Public Relations Manager and host for the Resilient and Real podcast. Our guest today is the Associate Medical Director for DBH and has worked with the department for nearly 10 years. He received his Doctorate of Medicine at Loma Linda University and is board certified in addiction medicine and adult psychiatry. He's an incredible leader at DBH and I'm excited to talk to him today. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Skur. That's my pleasure. So, Dr. Skur, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do here at Behavioral Health? So, I'm a psychiatrist and addiction medicine physician, and I have a fairly unique job for physicians where I get to provide direct patient care, but also I'm very involved in administration and management of service delivery. So, I'm over uh, health informatics, medical education, substance use disorder recovery services, and a couple of our mental health clinics uh, for the medical side. And how long have you been with um, our department? I've been with DBH since 2012. Oh, wow. So what makes you stay? So why, why DBH? Why do I stay with behavioral health? I stay because of my personal mission. I have a passion for working with underserved, unserved, and marginalized members of society. And that's really who DBH works with. We are a social safety net for behavioral health, and we are an option of last resort for a lot of people. We're directly keeping people out of the hospital, keeping people alive, keeping people out of jail. And that's who I want to work with. And I think one of the best places I can do that in Southern California is with San Bernardino County DBH. Awesome. Thank you so much. The holidays are coming up. Actually, my daughter came up to me a month or so ago and said, you know, mom, I, I really have this seasonal disorder. It's coming up and I'm just getting depressed because it's so cold. And then I remember somewhere somebody telling me that that thing was a myth and it was just kind of made up. I Googled seasonal affective disorder and just the fact that it's an acronym that kind of goes with whatever people are saying it is makes it seem a little more fake to me. <laughs> but could you share with us what that is and is it a real diagnosis? Seasonal affective disorder uh, is real. It's a subtype of depression. It's a clinical diagnosis that has distinct criteria and is really treatable. It's actually more treatable than a lot of other types of depression. The acronym for it is SAD, uh, which can be a little confusing because it's a lot more than just being sad. Right. It's normal to be sad at times, but it's not normal for that to last for weeks. So when, when do we see seasonal affective disorder? It's more common in the winter months when there's less sunlight, which is the time of year we're moving into. Now, we don't see as much of it in Southern California as, say, Iowa or some of our more northern climates where they get less sun in the winter. Um, I can say this because I, I put some time in Iowa before I was able to get down to Southern California. I don't know how you ever left. <laughs> well, you know, it was something about the six months of winter. And <laughs> I think I slid through one too many intersections when the brakes don't work on the ice. Some, something about that. And I just decided I needed some sunshine. So in the U.S., about 5% of adults, this is a huge number, will experience seasonal affective disorder at some point in their lifetime. So just let that sink in for a minute. 
5%. That's one in 20. Does that affect people who don't have like a depression year round or don't have like another diagnosis or a previous mental illness? Yeah. So it can be standalone. So you can be perfectly healthy in terms of mental health and you can experience sad or you can have other mental health issues going on. Maybe you have a depression of a different subtype and it just gets worse when there's less sunlight uh, with kind of a seasonal pattern to it. So it can go either way. So is it more related to the seasons, like you mentioned, like the sunlight and it getting darker and all those things, or is it more impacted by the holidays and whatever that brings? I think that triggered in my mind and another memory that my mother-in-law said, who's a nurse, I think one of my kids asked her like, why are people depressed on the holidays? And she said, well, that's because they miss their loved ones and they're not with them. And then it turns into depression. And I, I didn't really agree with that. Cause to me, I'm like, you know, depression doesn't work that way. But then again, I don't know. So <laughs> maybe you could um, expand on that. Yeah. So I, I'd like to tease these two apart. I think they are occurring at the same time, but really they're independent pieces or variables. The seasonal affective disorder really has its roots in sunlight exposure and circadian rhythm changes that come from shortening of the daylight hours. That being said, any mental health issue can get worse with stress. And mental health doesn't take holidays. So even though we call it the holidays, that doesn't mean our mental health issues are going to take a break for us. Stress is a big trigger for mental health issues. The holidays are stressful. They're fun, they're exciting, they're stressful, they're full of friends and family and loneliness. It's all wrapped together. And that can bring out underlying mental health issues or bring on new ones. So I think for me, because I tend to be an introvert and I'm low on vitamin D, so maybe it is probably both, but I love the holidays because I love spending time with my family and that fellowship, but I hate having my extended family over some more than, than others. That just brings a whole nother level of just chaos. You know that that's part of what makes me more irritable. I don't know if more depressed, but the thought of, of having to, you know, hang out with family that you don't see all the time. And then somebody always bringing up something political and then it turning into a fight and everybody's mad. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think you're, you're really hitting the nail on the head, Amara. The holidays are, are stressful for those reasons. And I like to think about boundaries. This is something that I, I talk with my patients about a lot. And the holidays are a really good time to highlight healthy boundaries. Just because we're family doesn't mean we like each other. And it's important to put those boundaries in place with family too. There's a lot of obligation that people feel around the holidays. And maybe I'm obligated to host the whole family at my house. Maybe I'm obligated to attend a bunch of events that I, I really don't want to attend, that I won't enjoy. And it might be bad for my mental health. So when I think about the boundaries, I, I like to roll back some of those assumptions around obligation and really be deliberate about saying no or yes, depending on what's going to be good for me and where I'm at in my life. Maybe I need to say no this year to one of the gatherings, or maybe I need to say no to hosting and someone else can host especially if it's going to come at a big cost to my mental health. Now, how do you do that? 
in relation to culture. I know I actually had this talk with one of my friends who's from Honduras and I remember she was just really upset about it. She's like, I don't want to invite everyone over, but I knew that she would because the fear of, uh, you know, offending somebody was greater than the, you know, heartburn that she would get from inviting everyone over. So in those situations where you know it's in your best interest to decline the party or not host the party, but then again, you know that people are just going to take it the wrong way. And another example that just came to mind is I remember my husband came home from work and my brother had shown up unexpectedly. We weren't, you know, he just came to the door and said, Hey, we want to visit. And that was fine. And then my husband came home and he said, I really have a tight deadline for work. I'm sorry. I can't chat. I need to go work on this, this assignment. And then within 20 minutes, my brother was like, I'm leaving. Cause he doesn't, <laughs> if he doesn't have time for me and he doesn't care, then, then I'm not wanted here. And, and that was a cultural thing. So I understand what you're saying, Dr. Skur, about making sure to prioritize your self-care, but how does, how do you do that in situations like that? And I'm going to be real here. And this is how I like to be with my patients too. There's no easy answer. Mm-hmm. Self-care sometimes comes at the expense of other people's obligations or a sense of what our obligation should be. I don't like to think of culture as something that needs to bind us. I like to think of it as something that facilitates bringing us together. Mm-hmm. But sometimes culture is not healthy. Uh, we have a lot of things in our society that are unhealthy. and. To stand up to them is difficult. Sometimes it is easier to say yes, and that will cause less disruption. So it's really a very individual case that you have to weigh. And maybe this is because you're a doctor and wanting to tell you all these things. (laughs) That's probably part of your expertise. But for last Thanksgiving, actually, another one of those instances, my mother, she's living like her best life. She's in her 70s and she found (laughs) a 96-year-old boyfriend and they, they love each other very much. But He's very old school. We're all sitting at the table eating. My family, my daughter, who's like 21, my sons and my husband, my mom, her boyfriend, and we had finished dinner. And then my husband got up and started gathering the plates and her boyfriend (laughs) said it out loud. He said, no, sit down. That's woman's work. (laughs) And then my daughter, I could see like flames coming out of her ears and she didn't say anything. And then I was kind of like, uh, I don't remember even if I said anything, but I was like, Dr. Kelly would want me to say something. And I don't remember if I did or not, but I, she, she was just so irritated, but she didn't say anything because she knew it was just going to ruin everything else I, or she thought it would. What would you have done or what do you think? Did you do the right thing? That's a tough one. Uh, I can tell you that me personally, I would have said something. I I have a daughter. I am a big proponent of equality. I, I couldn't, I couldn't handle that. That's the kind of thing that might come from my grandpa's mouth. My my grandpa was really proud um, that he never changed a diaper in his whole life. He had six kids. Right. That's not the way it is in my household. Um, I change a lot of diapers. (laughs) So the the thing I would try to focus on though, is it's super easy to become to get into the butting of heads and the arguing in this kind of situation. But but that's not the objective. We're not going to change the 96-year-old boyfriend's mind at this point in his life. Right. I would focus on love and respect. And I would 
respectfully say that in my household, it's different. And we're eating in my household. And I, I'll ask you to respect that. And if you're interested in talking about it, or if we're in a place where we can have a deeper conversation, you know, I would love to do that. But if it's not going to be productive, if it's just going to be an argument, we don't get together often. Let's avoid the argument. Yeah. And, and that's honestly how I do it with my grandparents. I, I don't see eye to eye to that with them on some of these issues. So I don't talk to them about it in general unless they want to. Um, I, I tried. I put some overtures out there, but they made it pretty clear that they have the right way. <laughs> so we focus on the fun stuff. We we talk about grandkids. You know, we talk about things that we do see eye to eye on when we're together. They live in Wisconsin. You know, I see them maybe once a year. Yeah, I feel empowered. This year for us will be a little bit different because most of our extended family is out of the country, so that'll be okay. But. That was definitely helpful for me and I hope helpful for our listeners. Is there any other kind of closing thoughts you want to share with us? Again, how to manage your mental health better during the holidays? Yeah, I'd like to just jump back to seasonal affective disorder for a minute because it is so common and highlight a couple of symptoms. You know, if people are feeling sad, having depressed mood, if it seems to be a recurrent pattern around this time of the year, loss of energy, feeling worthless, feeling guilty, difficulty concentrating or making decisions, talk to your doctor about it. Talk to your therapist if you have one. We have really, really good treatments for it. Treatments that are as simple as light therapy. You get this little box that has some lights on it and you just sit in front of the box for like 20 minutes a day. And that's all it takes sometimes to eliminate all of that depression, and it can have a huge impact in improving somebody's life. In other cases, therapy, um, cognitive behavioral therapy is very effective treatment. In more extreme cases, we do use some antidepressants, but for most people, the light therapy is very effective. So I just wanted to toss that out there. I, I, I like to try to destigmatize and let people know how, how easy it is to get treatment for this one. And that does sound very easy like just getting under uh, uh, some light or, I mean, would a tanning studio work? Uh, a tanning studio might work. Uh, I might have to have some other uh, health discussions about tanning. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I've been trying forever and Dr. Skr, this is, you know, the opportunity. I'm going to seize the moment, but I'm going to need you to write me a prescription to get my light treatment in Hawaii. Yeah, you know, if there weren't for those laws against self-prescribing, I think I would write my myself that one. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Skur. Hey, you're welcome. It was a pleasure to be on with you. Self-care is always important. Let's hear from a DBH employee about how they practice self-care in this week's Self-Care Corner. Hi, uh, my name is Carol McDonald. I am Program Specialist One with the Public Relations and Outreach Department. So one of the things that I do to practice self-care is essential oils. For anybody who doesn't know what an essential oil is, it's basically the compounds that are extracted from a plant. So it could be the leaves of a plant, the petal, the root, the rind, the bark, and they concentrate that into oils. And so what I do is I use those oils to 
either diffuse them with an essential oil diffuser, like in the air, or you can use them topically. And I use different oils for different things. One of my favorite oils, I would say, is probably lavender. That's probably the most popular one that a lot of people know. Uh, lavender oil is very relaxing and calming if you've smelled it, which I'm sure a lot of people have. It has a really good scent. It's just it's a very, very, very calming. And so I use that one like when I'm getting ready for bed. That one I'll put like you can put drops in of lotion and uh, put that on you. You can put it in a bath. You can put that in the diffuser. So there's a lot of different ones. The citrus oils are really uplifting. So orange, grapefruit, those type of oils, they just smell good and they really enhance your mood. I know people say like aromatherapy, like you can use it for that, but I do believe that they do have some health benefits also. Definitely mental health benefits as well. My dad, he's from the South, so he has all of these like sayings, right? They're very funny. (laughs) As a a younger adult, uh, and even now, sometimes I have run across car troubles. And so he's a big person on like cars and he would always say, Carol, take care of your car and it'll take care of you. It's like, get the oil change, you know, rotate your tires, do all those things you need to do. And so I think that it's a really good, I mean, obviously that was true, (laughs) but I think it's a good saying to also apply to yourself because I think in life, you know, your body is your vessel that's carrying you through and you are on this journey, you're learning, you're growing. And I think that you have to remember to take time to take care of yourself so that you can continue through this journey, continue to push through. In life, relationships are very important. And so, you know, we all know that relationships with your your family, your coworkers, your friends, those are all important things. But another thing that's really important is your relationship with yourself. And I think taking the time to actually care for yourself um, and, you know, the hustle and bustle and the routine that we have, I think that it's really important to stay connected with who you are as you move through the journey. Thank you for joining us for another great episode of Resilient and Real. As we continue to celebrate Native American Heritage Month, be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, live life resilient and real.